Hi, welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. It's me, Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> and, and I am Ethan <laughs> I'm actually Matt Bazell, but we're back with number 26 on AFI's Top 100, <laughs> 1939's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Starring, if you couldn't guess, James Stewart. James Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. James Stewart talks a lot like this. Gets a lot of play on this top 100 list. He does. We have seen him many times. And I believe we'll see him just a few more times, in fact. I I think we will. Well, Ethan, have you seen this film before? I have not seen this one before. And I really wasn't looking forward to it because I understood that it had a reputation for being rather boring. Oh, I didn't know it had the reputation, but I did remember you not looking forward to it. I also haven't seen it, but we should talk about that. But first, I think we need a plot synopsis. I think we do. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is the story of Jefferson Smith, the young head of a Boy Scout-like group called the Boy Rangers, who has been chosen to replace a recently deceased senator from a never-named Western state. Smith is chosen by the governor, who is in the pocket of Jim Taylor, a rich political boss who actually runs the state. Taylor hopes to elect his hand-chosen stooge, but the governor's children urge him to choose Smith. The governor actually does choose Smith after an ill-fated coin toss where the coin lands on its edge. Regardless, Taylor and the governor assume Smith will serve the same purpose as the other choices. He will act as a stooge for Taylor since he appears to be a naive and uninformed young man. Smith is mentored in the Senate by his senior senator, Joseph Payne, who appears wholesome but is secretly corrupt, also being in the pocket of Taylor. Smith proves to be an easy target for the press and is portrayed by them as bumbling and idiotic. Payne, in hopes of keeping Smith occupied in his time in the Senate, pushes him to write a bill. Smith, with the help of his somewhat reluctant secretary, Clarissa Saunders, drafts a bill that plans to create a boy ranger camp in his state, paid for by young men. However, the campground is, unbeknownst to Smith, a piece of land involved in a scheme to cheat the government by, you guessed it, Taylor. Taylor hopes to trick the government into buying the land from his many dummy corporations to build a dam, making him a whole bunch of money. Payne is forced by Taylor to betray Smith and claims on the Senate floor that it is Smith who is trying to trick the government into buying the land. He presents forged documents showing Smith owns the land and uses Taylor's power to swing the tide of public opinion against Smith. Saunders decides to help Smith and gives him a crash course on the filibuster and coaches him from the gallery while he filibusters for around 25 hours. During his filibuster, Taylor works overtime to suppress Smith's message in their home state, even going so far as to instruct his men to injure children spreading Smith's message. Smith eventually collapses on the floor of the Senate and Payne attempts to kill himself. When he fails, He bursts into the Senate and tells the truth, and the film ends with the implication that Saunders and Smith will end up together and that Smith has won the fight. I just want to point out how different it is for this 1939 film not to end with our two protagonists sharing a long and loving kiss at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. We tend to get that in these, uh, you know, uh, 30s, 40s films. 
And also just other James Stewart films. Yes. Yes. We don't get that here. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Maybe it's a good thing, right? It sort of puts to the forefront the important theme of the film, which is politics and free speech and free press. And it doesn't reduce it just to their relationship. Yeah, the film ends very abruptly. It actually is Clarissa Saunders yelling yippee and then credits. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. There is no uh, denouement, really. It, it really sort of hits the climax and then rides that out until it just is over. <laughs> Which is a lot of what we like in, I think, the modern film. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I will say, though, that the first maybe 10 minutes of this film move way too fast to keep up with. Yeah, it. in general, this film is oddly paced, right? Some things seem like they take a very long time and a lot of time is spent on them. Other things happen like that. Yeah, I, I think I kind of agree with that, that it is maybe slow and then fast in places. But I think those first 10 minutes are probably the best example of it not being well paced. And I know why, right? It's excusable because they're saying, look, this is not important. We need to get Mr. Smith to Washington. And that's where we want to set our film. I think there's a better way to do that without having to go through the whole rigmarole. But you're introduced to so many characters so quickly. The mayor, the senator, they all kind of look the same. Black and white doesn't help with a bunch of white guys anyway. (laughs) But you get too many people too quickly. It's kind of sorted out as we go through, but there's a lot of secondary or maybe even tertiary characters that we don't really know so much about at any point in the film. And so kind of keeping track of them is really weird. It's like, why do I need to know about this guy named Chick? He's just a crony of Taylor. Right. But he's kind of introduced differently. And so it's a little hard to follow. But we should mention that Claude Rains plays Senator Payne. He does. And we'll see him in Casablanca way up at the top of the list. We will. And then Jean Arthur plays Clarissa Saunders. Yes. And she's amazing in this film. Oh, she's fantastic. And I just want to say I'm really enamored of this film in general. Yeah, I I enjoyed it much more than I thought I was going to. The two hours went remarkably fast. We tend to keep ourselves in the dark about these films before we start them. And I didn't even know James Stewart was starring in this film honestly i didn't either until i pulled it up to to rent it so and that man doesn't appear to age until he's like 50 or 60 right in rear window he's a bit older he looks old as fuck in rear window that's also intentional right they also i think did that to kind of play up on that age i think so but when he takes his shirt off in rear window i was like oh he's a skeleton he's gonna die soon (laughs) (laughs) He's a very small man. I think I saw a statistic because he was in the Air Force, and I think he eventually retired from the reserves as a brigadier general, which is a pretty damn high rank. Yeah. But he was initially not allowed to join because he was underweight by, like, four pounds. Wow. Or even, I think, six pounds. And the the limit was, like, 144 pounds, which means he was, like, in his 130s, and that oh, dude's, geez. like, 6'3 or 6'4. Yeah, he's very tall. So he is just skeletal by nature, but damn it if he's not really endearing. Yes. I mean, it makes sense why he plays this character and and many of the others that he's been cast in. He is endearing. He has a lot of charisma. And there's that scene where he's going around looking at all the monuments and doing the tour. 
and he's just uh, this childlike wonder about him. Yeah. And you're immediately in his corner, right? You want him to succeed. You, he's got you, you know? Yes, absolutely. Which is why I think the pivotal scene I've chosen for today is so affecting. This is when Jeff returns to the Lincoln Memorial, but is at his lowest point. He's been accused of all these things. The system, the Taylor machine, as it's called, has gotten around him, right? It has yeah, put him down yeah. in the dumps. The entire country, effectively, at this point, is against him. And so he finally just collapses onto his briefcases and is just weeping. And that's when Clarissa approaches him. So let's take a listen to that scene. Well, I see by the papers you certainly got to be a senator. You sure had the right idea about me, Saunders. You told me to go back home and keep filling those kids full of hooey. Just a simple guy, you said, still wet behind the ears. A lot of junk about American ideals. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of junk, all right. Now, look, Senator. I don't know. This is a whole new world to me. What are you going to believe in? A man like Payne, Senator Joseph Payne, gets up and swears that I've been robbing kids of nickels and dimes. A man I've admired and worshipped all my life. I don't know. A lot of fancy words around this town. Some of them are carved in stone. Some of them, I guess the tailors and Paynes put them up there so suckers like me could read them. And then when you find out what men actually do, well, I'm getting out of this town so fast away from all the words and the monuments on the whole rotten show. I see. When you get home, what are you going to tell those kids? Well, I'll tell them the truth. Might as well find it out now as later. I don't think they'll believe you, Jeff. You know, they're liable to look up at you with hurt faces and say, Jeff, what did you do? Quit? Didn't you do something about it? Well, what do you expect me to do? Honorary stooge like me against the tailors and pains and machines and lies. Your friend Mr. Lincoln had his tailors and pains. So did every other man who ever tried to lift his thought up off the ground. Odds against him didn't stop those men. They were fools that way. All the good that ever came into this world came from fools with faith like that. You know that, Jeff. You can't quit now. Not you. They aren't all tailors and pains in Washington. That kind just throw big shadows, that's all. You didn't just have faith in pain or any other living man. You had faith in something bigger than that. You had plain, decent, everyday, common rightness. And this country could use some of that. The reason I've selected this scene is it espouses a lot of the heavy themes of this film while also servicing, servicing the lighter themes, which of course is their romance, right? Their version yeah. of romance. But it is showing the world at its most bitter lesson to be learned for Jeff in this case. Yeah. And I think that's why this film is so important. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. And even really by the end of the film, we don't know to what extent Jeff has been successful, to yes. what extent Taylor is going to be punished. The bill maybe gets sunk, and what? Is is that it? I mean, he can always find new people to get in there and continue to refresh the machine. I, I think it's really telling that the film ends without 
making clear what happens to Taylor or or his whole uh, you know political scheme that he's got going on. It, it, it in many ways this is a film that is uh, extolling the virtues you know the American process with enough free speech with enough you know belief in the system you can accomplish what you want to accomplish but it also has this very darker undertone which is to say we don't really know if anything changed that's true and i think that's really expressed in this scene until clarissa points out to him hey look it is fools with passions with obsessions for truth and justice that get things done so there is kind of exceptionalism here very undemocratic when you think about it, but the Senate is run, in this case, by Taylor, right? His machinations are driving this bill through pain, and everyone else is kind of lining up with it. Right. But it's Jeff who gets to dissemble the system, but again, it has to be through pain to help him. So you see, individuals are the prime motivators of this film, yeah. and that's a really interesting idea in a democratic republic. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I mean, I, I, I really do. That, that This is an individualistic sort of film, right? It is driven by individuals and their exceptional qualities. Uh, even um, Payne, right, at the end of the film, uh, is able to run in and have his moment to say, you know, it, it's, it's all a lie to get rid of me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's his own eventual... Uh, exceptionalism that that comes through right uh to to sort of save the day and of course uh the the exceptionalism of saunders right like she is i think presented as an exceptional character right Mm -hmm. uh extremely intelligent she knows all the ins and outs of the senate that jimmy stewart's character has no idea about uh you know she's worked hard she has pulled herself up by her bootstraps right and and she is the one that drives the really this sort of second half of the film. Without her, Mr. Smith goes home, you know? Yeah, and a, and a runner-up for a pivotal scene that I didn't choose ultimately was Clarissa explaining the process of Bill into law yeah. to Jeff and just how un, like, unfatigued, how it doesn't even flag him. He is just there and he says okay it gets signed for a couple months and then what and it has to go through committee okay right Right. he's just unflappable in this yes he's relentless and i think really that's what's important about this film is that even though it's about these singular characters you can kind of see them as interchangeable because it just takes one good-hearted person or someone to stand up against the machine to be able to affect change so yeah. I think there is ultimately something democratic about this in that though it is motivated by these people, any one of us can be those people. Yeah, there there is really a call to action in this film, right? Which is to say, stand up and be the, the person who's going to make change, right? Be Jimmy Stewart, even if it sinks you personally, right? Stand up for what you believe in and what's true, and it will sort of come through which is what america is supposed to be about right in the very abstract right that one person can change everything for the better for other people right in within the system 
Yeah, and to extend that, each one of us individually can make change, right? It doesn't all have to be the weight or momentum of the populace behind one idea, but everyone can have their own idea and push for it. And as long as we're all aligned with truth and justice, maybe things will work out. Now, that's really optimistic, but I think this kind of lands me for my thesis for this film is that, you know, this is an important film then, and it's an important film now, right? Just as important then as it is today. And I think... We love an underdog, granted, and so we're always going to be in the favor of someone like the character that James Stewart plays, but right. you know anyone who is going against the modern machine. But I think the great disparity between truth and reality must always be railed against, and this yeah. film is committed to that battle, and I think that battle is so present today, and this film is so prescient in illustrating it the way it does. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to watch this film and not see, you know, reverberations today uh, with, you know, the the level of corruption that we see, uh, you know, at the executive branch of our government, right? Uh, And the sort of uh, fall in line mentality uh, of certain political parties in this nation right now, right? That will get behind things that many many people think are very immoral right and that are very anti-democratic uh and so this film you know suggests that right it's about uh raising your voice and not giving up right it, it's it's that dogged uh, you know defense of america america's values right of the constitution right defend that is it and what's that that's what this film i think calls us to do in the face of all the uh, corruption, the, uh, you know, ill deeds or, or what have you. Right. I think importantly, which is in line with this film, it's not just raising your voice because James Stewart raises his voice. It's when you've been beaten back to keep speaking. Yes. Yes. To not give up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I think perhaps maybe it's time to go to our three questions. Yes, I think it is. For that, however, let's talk about Anchor. Now for our three questions. Ethan. Yes. What do we owe to this film? This is this is a, a tough one because this is not a film that is... It doesn't have a whole lot of easy shorthand, I think, in our sort of modern film vocabulary. I think perhaps what this film, what we owe to it... Uh, is less about necessarily the history of film and and more about just sort of the way we think about the government. I mean, this is a film, I think, that gets uh, brought up a lot by people interested in politics or people that move in political circles. Uh, I think I read that in 2007 they started National Whistleblower Week, and this is a film that, you know, is about whistleblowers, right? When mm-hmm. we think about the whistleblower. And that it, and there, there's been a lot of that in the last 10, 15 years in American, uh, you know, governmental history. Uh, it, it reminds me a little bit of something like To Kill a Mockingbird, right? That it, it's that kind of story. Funny you should mention that. Why is that? It's the next film on the top 100. Is it? Is it really? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that these films. Are, well, I haven't seen To Kill a Mockingbird, but I've read To Kill Whoa, a Mockingbird. That yeah, is, yeah, yeah, that's a bomb. I know, right? But I've read the book, and I think that both of these stories, right, uh, are if you're a certain kind of person, 
you know, you this is the story I think that helps to create that imagination for what you can be, right? For what lawyers can be, perhaps for what lawmakers can be. Yeah, and I I think there's some DNA of this film in To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. I think that's there. I think that's a forefather for that particular film, which we'll, of course, talk about in two weeks. Yeah. I also think that there's something to be said about the global climate, global democratic climate. You know, James Stewart organized having this film shown in Russia. Wow. This was also banned in a lot of autocratic states at the time or throughout time. Unsurprising. Unsurprising, absolutely. And I think it kind of acts as a watermark in a lot of ways. What do people want you to see? What do they want you to know? If we can see this film, recognize its virtues, I think that means something for the political climate that you're in. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is at least, uh, you know, on the surface, this is a very democratic film, right? That extols the, the virtues of, you know, um, what America sees to be as democracy, right? Although a lot of congressmen were pissed at the first showing of this. Yeah. Yes. I did read that, uh, that people were not happy because it also, I mean, it does portray a large portion of Congress as unscrupulous, and corrupt, just straight up corrupt. Yeah, corrupt figures, right? Uh, and, you know, I think that in our modern day, you know, in 2019, I think we, there isn't nearly as much pushback against something like this as there may have been in 1939. Because I think we pretty much understand that uh, with the state of the world, there are a lot of corrupt politicians you know at the very least unscrupulous politicians that you know make choices uh because money is involved i think it's naive to think that everybody is mr smith right yeah well we've also inherited a government or a country in which we don't necessarily trust our government anymore right that used to not be the case and in fact i think at the time of this film that wasn't entirely the case either well, I mean, 39, right? I mean, you've got to think about the the political uh, situation then. We're, I mean, this is Depression-era stuff, or right right around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then what gets us out of the Depression is World War II, a war, you know? Uh, so and, and so much has happened since then. I also want to point out that I think there is one movie shorthand we can take away from this film. We talk about the big picture here a lot, and I think we're right to do it with this film particularly. But I have one word, filibuster. Yes, the filibuster. You're right. How how did I let that fall out of my head? What am I talking about? Yes. I think we get the filibuster in primetime TV and certainly in film because of this really masterful creation. They do a great job of time in that the pace is slower there and i think that's intentional because it is supposed to be 25 hours almost yeah and then of course they rebuilt the entire senate it's like the biggest stage i think that was created on one of the studio lots yes and it's all really well done and i think that really calls to mind the idea of the filibuster as we know it in popular culture and you know i wonder I, and this is all speculation, but I wonder how much people knew about the filibuster 
previous to this film, like the average person, right? Mm-hmm. Because that is this. I mean, forty minutes of this film is is a, is him filibustering, right? A large percentage of the film, and I think you're absolutely right. It's a good question. I don't know how we'd find an answer to that, but well asked. Yeah, I th- I think that that's something worth considering. Like, how does does is this the film that catapults the idea of the filibuster as a tool? Uh, into the you know American consciousness because in the last again in the last ten years we've seen the filibuster used to great effect uh, many many times um, to the point where you know f- the filibuster power has been removed uh, in certain uh, places I don't know exact don't th- now we're getting a little out of my uh, layman government knowledge but I know that the filibuster was removed. Some, in one of the houses for some reason or some sort of something. <laughs> Fun fact, you often filibuster on this podcast. True, I do filibuster on this podcast. I do not yield. Do not yield the floor and you say, I'm not sitting down and we're going to do this all night. Usually the podcast ends when I collapse from <laughs> exhaust, exhaustion or drunkenness. Little known fact. <laughs> but Ethan, I have a second question for you. And does this film hold up? You know, I think, except for its weird pacing issues, in a lot of and and you know, there there there's some sort of weird juddery. They lose some frames, right? They lose a lot of frames yeah. in places. Uh, but aside from that, you know, I think it holds up pretty well. It's very much of its time, where it you know it looks like a play, uh, most of the time, with the notable exception of the Senate House. Yes, with the notable exception of the Senate. Uh, and there are a few shots here and there and some interesting wipes and things like that. But in general, uh, it, it's pretty straightforward. But I think that the script holds up really well. I think it's pretty compelling after the first about 10 minutes when you're not quite sure what's going on. Once we get Mr. Smith, again, the two hours flew by for me. I was pretty engrossed. Mm-hmm. And there have been many films on this list that I have not been engrossed in. I agree. Well, in general, I love me a black and white film. So it gets marks for that. We've talked about so much about how it holds up far better than Technicolor. And I think as a weird sort of side fact, James Stewart is on the record saying, look, stop colorizing black and white films. If you want to remake (laughs) the film, go for it. But don't change the original artist intent. I think I can get behind that statement very much. I can too. I agree. I think there's a more modern way to do those first 10 minutes. I think the harsh cuts, the different juddery sort of we lost some frames here or we needed to use different film to stitch together. I think that wears on it just a little bit, but that's just a little rough around the edges, not a big deal. Overall, I think this film overwhelmingly holds up for the same reason I stated in my thesis is that this is a very important theme or set of themes, very important idea that I think we need now more than ever as much as ever yeah i agree so our third and final question is do we care about this film i yeah i think so i think that this it's a travesty that it took me this long to see it uh i think that it it is a great american film i think in, in in a very very straightforward way this is a great film about america by americans starring americans uh, I think it's got just enough ambiguity. I think that it's got just enough of the right beats to make it feel um, 
not quite as subversive as perhaps maybe it is. It functions on so many levels. I think it's fantastic. Yes, I, I care about this film. I think a lot about 12 Angry Men with a film like this. Yeah. Thinking about a justice system, a particularly American justice system, yeah. and the import of it across time. And I think we have to care about it for those reasons. And I think this is a film that you need to see in high school. High school government class, high school history class. Yeah. You need to see it there. You need to get the weight of the ideas out of the dead pages and on the screen for this reason. Yeah. This is why film exists, is to exemplify something or personify something in a way that a text can't necessarily in the same way. And I think we have to care about it, and I certainly care about it. And yeah, I think I think it's something everyone needs to say. Yeah, and it, and again, it even ba- it balances enough of the sort of jingoistic, you know, go America stuff, which we get very much when we see the world through Jimmy Stewart's eyes. With uh, at the beginning, that is, uh, with the sort of like reality of the American system that it is something that is not finished right it's the 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 great american experiment still is continuing right it's always being worked on it's always being built and it it does fail at times but it is our job to continue you know as americans it's our job to keep trying to make it better right even if we're we can see echoes of today in something from 1939 uh I don't know. I just think that this film just does, it does, it does such a great job of balancing that, right? The good and the bad, the ambiguity with the possibility. Yeah, and I think you were mentioning those early montages. I think there's three at the early beginning of the film. And you could all read those retroactively as a kind of, not necessarily cynicism, but naivete on Jimmy Stewart's part and the audience's part, right? You are seeing the glitz and glamour and you're buying into it. Yeah, And it's not until the, the midpoint of the film that you say, oh, no, all of this is lies. And I think there's a lot of stuff in this film that's just right for looking at and thinking more critically about. And I hope people do that. But I think we're out of time for this episode. Yeah. Next time, when we're back on the AFI, we'll be back with number 25, which, as we mentioned, 1962's To Kill a Mockingbird. Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird. But until then, I've been Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. There will be spoilers. That sounds like FDR. That's not Jimmy Stewart at all. <laughs> well, there will be spoilers, everyone. I'm not going to. I'm too congested for this shit. There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder, who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight, who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight, and that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast, and you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers. Spoilers.